Okay. All right. So we are in the second gospel this morning as we continue our survey of the New Testament. That's, uh, how come it's not up? All right. Today we'll be looking at the second gospel, Mark. Let's uh, start with a moment of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning and we are grateful for this time that we can uh, gather freely to learn more about your word, to look at it, to study it, help us to glean uh, the, the truths and themes and purpose of uh, this wonderful little powerful book that the Holy Spirit inspired John Mark to write. Amen. All right, so as I said, we'll, we're doing a survey of Mark, and today's equip lesson is brought to you by Audio Bible, an accessible way to hear the Word of God. Save it for questions and answers at the end, please. All right. So starting in our introduction, the title is, uh, uh, as I said last week with with Matthew, all of the Gospels come to us anonymously. And by that I mean there's nothing in the text that says "This, this is the Gospel according to Matthew or Mark or Luke. Um, but by... By 100 to 100 AD, uh, 100 to 125 AD, there was a, a unanimous uh, and strong agreement within the early church that Matthew was the gospel according to Matthew, and so that is what the scribes would have put at the beginning of the manuscript: according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, so on and so forth. And there was a, a strong agreement in the early church, um, and so. Now that, that, that let's get into what we know about uh, what we know about John. Uh, his full name uh, is John Mark. John would be uh, his Jewish name. Mark is his Roman name. He's something of a major minor character in the New Testament. He's uh, you know there are many characters who appear once, maybe twice, and it's not crucial you know who they are. Um, so while Mark, John while Mark is not a major character by by any stretch, um, it is fascinating as you uh, when you read the text that he's in and you learn more about him. So he's mentioned ten, and I think he's men- he is um, alluded to or referred to in, um, discreetly an eleventh time, and we'll look at that at the end. Uh, his mother's house was likely where the Jerusalem church met. Um, it's it's the first time he's introduced is when Peter is miraculously freed from prison. Remember, the, the angel come and, let, and unshackles his chains, and he goes back to where the disciples were. Well, the text says he went to Mary's house, uh, uh, Mary, the mother of John, who is called Mark. So most likely, th- th- there's a good chance uh, Mark's childhood home is where the church in Jerusalem gathered. Uh, we're told that he is the cousin of Barnabas in uh, in Acts. Uh, he traveled with Barnabas and Saul, who became Paul. And after uh, ap- at the end of the first missionary journey, he leaves and goes back to Jerusalem. And which that was why there was a sharp uh, disagreement between 
Paul and Barnabas, and that's why Barnabas took Mark. They're, they're, they're family. Uh, and fortunately, they were later to reconcile uh, Mark and Paul. Uh, he's referred to as a helper uh, who was useful to Paul for ministry. And likely the, the means of him being restored to ministry is at the end of First Peter, uh, he, uh, Peter refers to my son Mark. So in the same way that Paul had Timothy as a son in the faith, Peter had John Mark as a son in the faith. And I think Peter's own personal experience with failure and being restored to ministry is likely the impetus or motivation that he had in um, taking Mark under his wing, discipling him, and uh, giving him a second chance. Uh, by the early church, he, is, he was referred to as Peter's disciple and uh, interpreter. His gospel for, the, for, the, for many centuries was referred to as Peter's memoirs. Uh, and there's, uh, there's actually a pretty interesting correlation between the outline of Mark and the content of Mark and uh, Peter's sermons in Acts. Uh, early tradition says Mark was written in Rome to Roman Christians as Peter ministered there in the last few years of his life. He arrived sometime around 62, and he died uh, in either 65 or 66 at the height of Nero's uh, persecution. Uh, one strong uh, evidence that it was probably Mark is that there are a lot of details in the gospel that strongly imply uh, the writer of this gospel had a close connection to one of the twelve. Uh, there are many places where when, Mark, when Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, share an event or an incident, Mark will add details that only, only could have been um, provided by someone who was there, someone who saw, someone who heard what was going on. Uh, in uh, as Jesus is calling his first disciples, Matthew and Luke say they just went into Peter's home. But Mark points out who exactly went into Peter's home. Uh, when Jesus goes out to pray, uh, Mark points out it was still dark. It was early when Jesus goes out. Uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, passages is in 639 when Jesus tells the people to sit down on the green, green grass. And that's the, uh, it's a Jewish, repetition was a Jewish way of, of uh, emphasis. And so this isn't just green grass, this is vibrant green grass. And growing up in, in California and going to school in California for five years, uh, being in an arid place, the fact that, it, that, that uh, the grass is described as being vibrantly green tells you know, that's, that's some details, that's some clues as to maybe what time of year this is. So Matthew and Mark leave that out. Mark puts it in. So the audience. Uh, he is, uh, the audience is, uh, are composed of Gentile believers and unbelievers at Rome. The early church tradition says Mark wrote to the Romans. There are many Aramaic expressions that were 
that were translated, Mark, uh, Aramaic being the, the primary or the base language of the Jews uh, at the time. Uh, the fact that he's writing to a Gentile, a non-Jewish audience, Mark has to say, uh, he has to explain what these Jewish uh, expressions are f- uh, from Aramaic. And we, we can see some examples there. Uh, there are Latin terms that he uses, uh, and he transliterates them. So the fact that he, uh, even though he's writing in Greek, but he's referring to a Latin word, uh, which was the official, it was the business, it was the governmental language of, of Rome and its chief capital cities, um, tells us that he's expecting the bulk of his audience has a uh, Latin would have been their first language. They would have had great familiarity with it. And we see some examples here. Uh, centurion, the word for ex- uh, executioner, flogging, praetorium. Those are all Latin terms that he writes in Greek. So he writes them assuming that they know what they are. He doesn't have to explain them. Um so he, he, is writing, he, as a Jew, is writing to non-Jews. He takes the courtesy to describe uh, some of the geography of Palestine, uh, particularly the country of the Gerizines being on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, where Gennesaret is, and some other, some other names of places. He explains Jewish institutions and customs. He explains the Passover, or the day of preparation being before the Passover. He explains what the Corban rule was. He explains um, the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes washed cups and pots and, and tins and all sorts of things. Uh, he explains that the Jews go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, that Jews don't like tax collectors. I mean, well, I guess who, who does like tax collectors? But particularly, the Jews did not like tax collectors. Uh, he uses he, he uses Roman time. The, whenever you hear of it, it was the first or the second or the third Watch of the night. That's that's not a Jewish term. That's a that's um, Roman time. And at the end, he refers uh, he refers to Simon of Cyrene. This is the man who was uh, um, who got the opportunity to carry the cross of Jesus for him. Um, and he says that Simon was the fa- father of Alexander and Rufus. And in Romans 16.13, which is where we think uh, Mark was written, uh, Rufus is addressed, uh, is is told by, uh, the church is told by Paul to greet Rufus. So Rufus is someone prominent. So pretty strong evidence uh, he is writing to the church in Rome. When did he write it? Can't be sure. The, the, the date is debatable, likely 62 to 68, but there are good men who think he wrote it as early as the early 50s. But um, it couldn't have been any later than 70 A.D. because chapter 13 refers to the destruction of the temple as being a future thing. That happened in 70 A.D. So it had to have been before that. Likely it was after 62, which is around the time that Peter arrived in Rome. And the, the, the big question is, is whether he wrote it before Peter died or, uh, it, or whether he wrote the memoirs down when he died, which would be around 65, 66. 
Okay, looking at the outline, the, the first half is demonstrating that Jesus Christ is the powerful Son of God. He, uh, compared to Matthew, compared to Luke, um, Mark doesn't, I mean, he, he's appealing to the Roman mind. He's not messing, he's not wasting his papyri and his ink with genealogies. He's not, uh, he, he, he makes a quick reference to Isaiah, but he's not going to demonstrate at nauseum that all these things happened according to the scriptures. He, he makes a really, really brief summary reference to Isaiah, and then uh, you get, I mean, you get a, barely a full paragraph of John the Baptist, and boom, you're already talking about Jesus. He's calling his disciples, and he gets out on the road, and he's doing miracles. He, he, and he is uh, the one who amazes the crowds because he's teaching with authority. He's demonstrating he has authority and power. And so he, uh, the first bulk is, is dedicated to, which is, and primarily in Galilee, it is demonstrating his power and his authority. He is the powerful son of God. And then the second half, as his disciples uh, are time and time again, they're, they're just not getting it. They're, slow, they're hard-hearted. They're, they're dull and slow of hearing. They're not seeing, they're not perceiving uh, accurately who Jesus is, what his mission is, and, and what's going to happen. Uh, so there's, there's unintentional resistance from his disciples, resistance from the scribes and Pharisees, and even a rejection from the people is surmounting. And so we see Jesus portrayed more strongly as the suffering servant uh, who is going against the grain in every conceivable way in the second half. And he is, uh, where the first half is solely focused in and around Galilee, uh, the second half he is making his way to Jerusalem because he's going to die there. So major themes... Major themes. First one is is that the gospel is God centered. I know that's a shock, but he uses he, he uses the the word the name God forty nine times. Now far less than Matthew, uh, he refers to God the Father only four times, and it's they're all they're all in Jesus's words. Uh, Eighty one times he he refers to Jesus. So. Uh, you can see very clearly that, and, and down you can see that he refers to the Holy Spirit six times. So clearly, which person of the Trinity is getting the emphasis in the gospel? Jesus. Uh, seven times uh, the title Christ is used. Christ is not his last name. It's his title. Um, the Son of God is used nine times. And what's interesting is, is uh, since the book is Almost half as long as Matthew, he uses Son of God just as many times as the much fuller volume. Um, and the, 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 the gospel begins, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the title. The, 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 uh, at the end of his crucifixion, what does the Roman centurion say when he sees, when he sees how Jesus died? Truly. This man was the son of God. So you have, you have the, the son of God being sandwiching the gospel, and it's throughout. Son of man is used 14 times. The most 
prominent one, I think, is uh, 1045, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then we see the Holy Spirit used six times. So God, God is a prominent theme, so is the gospel. And the gospel is, we, do, do we know what word gospel comes from? Euangelion, the good news, it's preaching the good news. And the good news is not that you can save 30% by switching to Geico, right? It, uh, the good news is not something that you show. The good news is something you proclaim. It is, a, it is a definitive statement of who Jesus is and what he's done and the, the implication to follow him. So we see in one one the beginning of the gospel, and very quickly he is Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of God. Uh, Eight thirty five, uh, Jesus talks about the va- the inherent value of the gospel. If you if you lose your life for the gospel's sake, you will actually save it. Uh, the the preeminence of the gospel, the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. And then go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We see uh, the kingdom of God is a major theme. Now, not, not, as, uh, not as heavy as Matthew. I think it appeared in Matthew, I think, about 30 times. But uh, very prominent in Mark because with the proclamation of the gospel comes the proclamation of the kingdom. And we see this correlation between the two very early in 115. The kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what should we do as a result of that? Repent and believe the gospel. Those two are linked. Believe the, receive the gospel, receive the kingdom. We also see that the, that the power and influence of Satan is, is a major theme because the Roman mind was very preoccupied with, with uh, the supernatural and the, the, the influences of, of the spiritual realm. And uh, really, the, the, the interaction between Jesus and, and Satan and the unclean spirits and the demons and even men who are possessed and who are um, nevertheless influenced by the demons, it's kind of construed like an epic or like a like a power struggle even though we know jesus isn't really you know it's never in true jeopardy but it, it, it's mark portrays this like it's a clashing between the 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 power and the authority of satan and his minions and the power and authority of the son of god So we see Satan used uh, come up a couple times. We see unclean spirits come up uh, a number of times, and uh, unclean spirits and demons are really used synonymously. They're really, they really are the same thing, and when they show up, they do two things. They they oppose Jesus uh, by trying to draw uh, undesired, untimely, and inappropriate messianic expectations. And we, we, we can see this whenever, whenever the people got the idea that Jesus was the Christ, rather than, um, rather than uh, uh, confessing their sins and, and, and uh, uh, repenting of their sins, they, all they do, they want to be healed. They want, uh, they want Rome to be kicked out. 
they don't want what Jesus is coming to do. Uh, I think one of the one of the key verses that uh, illustrate that is 8:33, when Jesus be, uh, in the shift, uh, uh, which begins the second half of the of the gospel, when Jesus says that I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be handed over to to the the uh, leaders. And Peter says, oh, no, no, I, I will not let this happen. You know, may it never be. And what does Jesus say? Oh, Peter, you, you, you just, you're not getting it, buddy. What, is, what does he say? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. fifth major theme is the miracles of Jesus. There are 19 miracles in the gospel. In the first eight chapters, um, 16 are listed. 16 out of 19. That's like 80-something percent. I mean, and how, we're, we're, start, we're in the middle of chapter 2. How many have we seen already? Three? The, the 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 lame man the well, we, I think we've had about three so far the sixth theme is faith at the very onset Jesus proclaims repent and believe the gospel you know there there has to be a response that comes from in here there has to be a, an internal response to the gospel repent and believe in 2.5, uh, referring to the paralytic and his friends, Jesus saw their faith. He didn't just see that they were destroying Peter's house. They, he saw their faith. Uh, in 4.40, in, uh, in the midst of the storm, Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you, have you still no faith? Have you not realized who I am and that if, if for you to go down, I have to go down? Uh, in 5:34 and 10:52, he says, uh, uh, "In like manner, go your way. Your faith has made you well, or your faith has healed you." And then the last major theme is the disciples. Very, very early in 1:16 and 1:20, he's he's calling Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Uh, in 3:19, we get the, the the first listing of the twelve, and there are uh, many. There are uh, quite a number of references and allusions to the disciples. The word disciple or disciples appears 45 times in, this, in, this, uh, in the shortest gospel, 45 times. 15 times he refers to uh, the 12. And then there are uh, quite a number of other times where the context makes it clear he's talking to his disciples. Um, and, and, and what Jesus is doing is he's taking these men and he's slowly but surely molding them, shaping their, their way of thinking, and uh, teaching them uh, what his way is. And he's putting them on the way. And that's why in, in Acts, uh, one of the first um, um, terms or uh, one of the first terms for Christianity was followers of the way. Uh, quite a number of times we see the word 
the word uh, follow. Uh, Carl's going to preach, I think, today on this word. It comes from the word uh, akalutheo, uh, from which we get the word acolyte. An acolyte is someone who follows, someone who learns from another. And we see this word used uh, a number of times. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Uh, we'll see, uh, in addition to those who followed him well, there, there are quite a num- number of times where the crowds are following him. I mean, a great crowd from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon, which is basically the entire geographic plot of land that is the Middle East. We've all heard that one. Let him take up his cross and follow me. And what uh, what I thought was a very nice touch is is at the at the closure of his gospel. After his disciples had deserted him uh, in 16:7, the angel tells them tells uh, Mary to tell his disciples Jesus will be waiting for them in Galilee, just as he told them. So even after they've deserted him, uh, Jesus has not given up on them, and they are still his disciples. He's still their master. So the purpose of Mark. The purpose of Mark is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We see that proclaimed very simply in the first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we see that throughout, and we see the fact that even the Roman centurion, in addition to Pilate, in addition to the, 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 um, the, the chief priests and the scribes, that now they're saying it mockingly, but uh, even the Roman centurion is astounded when he notices the manner in which Jesus dies. Uh, T.S. Eliot uh, said that the crucifixion caused men to go out not with a bang but with a whimper. When you are dying because you are hanging and you are being suffocated, you go out with a whimper. But yet the text says that he yelled, he, he cried out loudly, and then he yielded and then he died. And the Roman centurion, who I would imagine, a Roman centurion knows a thing or two about how people die. He's seen it a couple times in his life. He is completely astounded by Jesus as he dies. And he realizes there's something supernatural about him. There is something uniquely different about this man. Because this man does not die like the way men die. And so he says, surely this man is the Son of God. And so that, that's, that's what Mark is trying to, to demonstrate. Jesus is the Son of God, and he, ha, uh, he has the power and authority as the Son of God would have. He clearly demonstrates that. And because of who he is, he should be followed. Now, th- this is applicable to unbelievers uh, the, the 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 charge or the call to follow Jesus would result in conversion. Turn from your from your pagan ways. Turn from worshiping the Roman gods. Turn from worshiping the emperor. Worship this one. Follow him. For those who are already believers, uh, especially as persecution is beginning to ramp up, you know, in in um, 
especially if this was written in the mid, early to mid-60s. Persecution is ramping up. Christians are being blamed for all sorts of stuff. Uh, this gospel would serve as, uh, as a primer on how to follow Jesus even into suffering. All right, so there are two, two interpretive challenges. The one is, uh, and I didn't bring my Bible up, so let me, let me pull out this. If you, if you have your Bible, turn to 14, 51 to 52, and there sh- I think if you don't, there should be some Bibles provided under the pew in front of you. And so the disciples leave him. Jesus is is being arrested. The the disciples leave him, and a young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet, and he escaped naked. Now, this text is unique to Mark. Matthew doesn't mention it. Luke doesn't mention it. John doesn't mention it. So why is this here? What do you guys think? What? Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. Because I mean, really, the, uh, what if it's not if it's not a discrete uh, reference to himself? Who who is the guy? What? Why why is he there? Why mention it? Why bring it up? You know why why not mention? The, the, the falafel vendor that they passed on the way to you know through the market. Why not pass the, you know mention? So we see a couple times that um, the New Testament writers, when they re- refer to themselves in the narrative, they it's very typical for them to refer to themselves in third person. Uh, it's it's typical for them to refer to their in very humble means because they they tend not to draw attention to themselves. We see uh, Matthew in nine nine. Referring to himself, not by you know he's writing to Jews. He is a Jew, but he refers to himself as Matthew, not Levi. So that that that's a humble way he talks about himself. In um, uh, five times in John, uh, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That that's a term of of, of grace. Um, uh, he doesn't refer to himself as John. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, we see uh, when, Peter, when Paul refers to uh, his heavenly vision, he says, I know a man who was caught up. Now, as to what this man saw, he, he can't say. So that, the, Mark, uh, referring to himself as, uh, discreetly, discreetly like this, is uh, on par with the other examples of New Testament writers referring to themselves. And again, I ask, if it's not Mark, what's it doing? It's not serving any purpose, uh, unless it was perhaps somebody known in the early church. And I I think he wrote it knowing that those who knew him would would pick that up. So Mark Mark does make a uh, brief occurrence. The other one is... uh, Chapter 16, just in the next chapter over, 9 to 20. Now, do any of your Bibles uh, have a little, you know, 
little marginal note or what does it say? Okay. So if if later manuscripts added it, what does what is what's the reverse of that? Yeah. So the earliest manuscripts do not have it. And there's a there's a, a parallel um, issue in John John 8, like the last several verses of John 8 to the first couple of, or no, last of John 7 and the beginning verses of John 8, I believe. Um, the woman who was caught in adultery. Uh, so what, what do we do if, if uh, because there's this long-standing tradition in the early church that, 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 it, that it was authentic, and, and beginning with the 4th century on, it was included. You know, kind of in the same way that the apocryphal writings were just thrown in, kind of the same way that the Book of Maps is thrown in. So, so what do we do with this? So, uh, as I said, the, the earliest manuscripts uh, do not have these verses, and the ones that do have it have some kind of a scribal marking that suggests they're not authentic. The 4th century church fathers Eusebius uh, and Jerome, Jerome's the guy who wrote the Latin Vulgate. Uh, he's, he, they noted that all the Greek manuscripts available to them lacked 9 to 20. And when you look at the text, uh, the transition from verse 8 to verse 9 is very awkward, and it's, and it's abrupt. It, it, it's, it's, it's strange. The grammar in verse 9 doesn't match its antecedents in the previous text. Uh, the, the, the linking word is expecting a female noun because that that's, would have been, um, or there should be uh, a female noun because the, fe- the verse 8 concludes with a female noun, but it begins with a male noun. So it, it does, the grammar doesn't make sense is what I'm saying. It's not good grammar. And then verses 9 to 20 contains vocabulary uh, uh, poisons and serpents and scorpions and 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 stuff that the Mark doesn't use any of this vocabulary in the rest of the gospel. And then Mary Magdalene, even though she's introduced in fifteen forty and forty seven and and even sixteen one, she, she's been previously mentioned a number of times. Why only? Why is she introduced now as if she's a new? You know, as if she's being introduced for the first time. Uh, why only now mention that Jesus casted seven demons out of her? So, so what do we do? Say again. I, th- I think the fact that our Bibles have notes that, that suggest this is not authentic um, is, a, is a good uh, – it's better that we have that, and it's better that we know that there's a discrepancy rather than just blindly either including it or dismissing it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, better that we, it's better we know what the issues are. Now, my my own uh, my own opinion of it is that it's not. I, I think these are compelling reasons that it's not inspired. However, because they are included in 
virtually every Bible now, um, I would read it. If, if I were reading through Mark, if I were preaching through Mark, I would probably include it um, But uh, because even though the vocabulary is odd, it, there's nothing inherently heretical in it. There's nothing contradictory. It, it, it is, it's strange, but there is nothing contradictory in it. Uh, he mentions um, uh, the apostles being able to heal and cast out demons. Um, let's see. What else? They, they would have signs, uh, signs and wonders will be accompanied them, and, and, and that's what uh, they will. Uh, they will drink poison and pick up serpents. I mean, we, we see Paul being bit by a serpent in Acts 27 and not dying. We see them casting out uh, demons. We see them healing various diseases, and, and and so if we take this as descriptive of what would happen in Acts, then it, it makes sense. But the error comes in in taking this de- in taking this as a prescription for what's going on right now. So, b- because it's in because it's physically located in the Bible, I would probably I would read through it. But I would I would probably spend five or uh, like five if I was preaching this passage. I would uh, explain the caveat that this may or may not be authentic to the original. But I would I would want to cover my bases and, and preach it anyway. Uh, any other questions on Mark? I think I believe it's not inspired, but I would still read it. Yeah, t- textual criticism is comparing all the veins of manuscripts that we have and tr- determining uh, which uh, which are the originals. You know, wh- where have some of the manuscripts varied? Um, you know, as you're reading through your Bible, sometimes you'll see a little, uh, a tiny little number, and in the margin you'll say some scripts may contain this different word, or some manuscripts will uh, will omit this word. And the the reason for that is rather than you know opening up your Word doc and copy pasting the the gospel on you know and, and then printing 50 copies, you you know you're, you're borrowing your your friends copy of the gospel and you have your parchment and you're 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 going to spend the next couple hours writing and copying now who has never made an an error who has never um left out a word misspelled a word uh who has never written the same word twice i I, that one really bugs me when i write the same word twice in a row um that that happens when you write stuff and so as a result um there, uh, there have been uh, uh, veins of manuscripts, and, and, and through textual criticism, through comparing, uh, you know, it, it, you hear that word criticism, and, you, you know, sometimes you may, like, instinctively go, oh, but what you're doing is, is you're evaluating, and you're, you're, you're comparing and judging, looking at, you know, the, the similarities and the differences, and uh, scholars and textual critics can conclude uh, which where they have veered off and where the the scripture has remained intact and uh, to counter to counter the uh, the criticism that you can't trust the Bible that it's you know that it you know there you can say I've heard you can make the Bible say anything you want well if if you're talking about eisegesis yes but um, when it comes to the textual variances in the Bible 
when it comes to the fact that, you know, um, this manuscript says this, but that manuscript says something else. Uh, the 99.99999% of the differences are, in, are spelling errors or uh, omitting the, the definite article, like the, or very uh, uh, errors that do not impact the content, errors that do not impact the doctrine of the gospel. Uh, the, 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 the number of um, variances that actually do imply, you know, this could mean something significant if it's this or if it's that, are very, I think there's maybe one or two. It's very, very minute. Well, and so, 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 um, oh, can you, can you say that again? Yeah, what about the few instances where there's a comma that's not in? I, so the, the two offhand that I know of, um, well, actually, I know, I know of three. There's the, the, the Johannine, uh, the, the, you know, uh, for there are three, the Father, the, the water, the blood, and the something or other in First John. Um, there's, there's this one. And then there's uh, the the story of um, the woman caught in adultery at the end of John 7, beginning of John 8. The reason why I say they don't matter is uh, where, where, where it, it doesn't make a huge difference is because um, they are not, as opposed to the apocryphal writings, this text, because you can see uh, almost exact fulfillment of these things happening in Acts. I, t- I don't take this as being a contradiction. The the woman caught in adultery in in John seven. It's not it's not they're not providing the, the narrative isn't providing anything new. It's not challenging anything else found in any other part of Scripture. So, you know, they could have been they could have been an anecdote provided by a scribe. Uh, or maybe he, you know, but they're, they're not, the point is, is, the reason why I'm not threatened by these is that they're not challenging, they're not contradicting Scripture anywhere else. They're, and they're ultimately, because they are questionable, uh, ultimately you can't derive doctrine from them. You, you, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to develop a, a system of belief or, or a proponent of belief from these. Okay, so um, here's my email. If you guys, you know, so we just finished Mark. What are we doing next week? Luke. Okay. We're doing Luke. Um, I need to speak to you after class. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm a strong advocate for the audio, audio Bible. It's a convenient way to, to listen to the word. Um, read it if you can. Listen to it. Uh, otherwise, um, if, if, if you're reading through Luke, uh, send me emails if you have any questions or, you know, if, if you if you read something that, is particularly important to you because um, that way you can be prepared. Uh, I can be prepared to answer it or respond to it uh, during the equip, and and uh, and it helps prepare you to 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 uh, ingest all all the numbers and quotations and everything. So, <sighs> half inspired. All right. 
Lord, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for this time. I pray that it was a blessing to your church. Uh, Please uh, bless the, the main service. Amen.